everyone and welcome to Teeth and Tales. I'm your host Dr. Shadi Manicherry and today's episode is all about building a squat dental practice with the wonderful Dr. Ted. Ted and I are actually good friends from university. We were in the same year at Parts in the London School of Medicine and Dentistry and Ted has gone on to build not one but two squat dental practices in London and in today's episode he talks to us all about how he went about doing it, some of his challenges, and some of his advice that he would give to anyone considering building their own dental practice. So I really hope you enjoy this episode, and without further ado, let's get into it. Hi Tej, thank you so much for joining me today, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. I'm very excited for this episode because I'm going to ask you the first question that I ask everybody and I feel like you're the first person or one of the few people whose background or whose answer I know at least for, for a little bit because for those of uh, you listening that don't know, me and Ted went to uni together, we were in the same year, so I kept a close mm-hmm. eye on him during those five years but afterwards I, I have no idea what happened to him so we're going to find out today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So could you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do and how you got here please? Uh, yes, yeah, so my name's Tej, um, and I am a general dentist uh, and practice owner. Um, so I got into uh, running my own practice about two and a bit years ago, just before the pandemic hit. So I started a squat practice in Greenwich, um, and then uh, once the pandemic hit, obviously we all had to stop. Um, so I think we'd only been open a week when that had happened, so it was a little bit of a crazy time. Um, but then once we reopened in June uh it's been quite quite uh, a journey for us um so that practice has grown really well um and i kind of work alongside my specialists to provide um basically all forms of care um all forms of specialty as well as general and cosmetic um and now i have embarked on my second squat practice in battersea which we opened last week um so that's kind of a little bit about what i'm doing at the moment um I kind of got into this uh, as I said about two years ago but prior to that I was working as an associate so what was it at what point did you decide that I want to have my own practice because I think idea to execution can take a number of years and having spoken to different people it's all it's taken all of them slightly different time frames to get to where they are so from the moment you have the idea till you actually made it a reality what was it like for you into into practice ownership I think um I mean I I'd always wanted to start my own practice um, or say own a practice. I didn't know I was going to start my own until I actually spoke to my uncle um, who uh, was a dentist for about 25, 30 years. And we were just having a chat one day and I said to him, look, I want to, I want to, you know, buy a practice. And he said to me, uh, why do you want to buy one? Why don't you set one up? Hmm. And that's, that's when the whole game changed for me. Cause initially before that I had been looking for existing practices, which is nothing wrong with that. Uh, there's an element of certainty when you're buying an existing business that is already an established list um, and even from a uh, you know from bank lending and all that kind of thing when there's something that's already there it actually does make it a bit easier um, but well, after speaking to my uncle about it he kind of opened my eyes to opening the squat um, so I, I didn't know I was going to do this so early on but I think you know I, I kind of had spoken to him about it and I was at a point in my career where I really wanted to do something on my own. Um, like I enjoyed being an associate and to a certain extent, it, it's it's kind of less responsibility, like mm. in the sense that you can, you know, do your job and go home and not worry about anything else most of the time. Um, so 
I kind of then said, okay, I'm going to start looking um, for a location. And I think this is where, when you mentioned in your question about this being variable for, for people who embark on this journey, it, that is very true because I think in your head, you have to have an idea roughly of what you're trying to open. If you're going to do a squat practice, you need to have an, a kind of a vision for what your practice is going to be. Is it going to be a specialist center? Is it going to be a center for cosmetics? Is it just that you want to do general dentistry with a bit of cosmetics? All these things will factor in because you'll you'll need to decide how many surgeries you want mm. um, or, or how much the finance allows for, whether you're going to go leasehold or freehold. Uh, and probably the biggest question is the location. Um, so these questions really can factor in and can also cause, let's say, delays uh as to how quickly this can happen for you because finding a location probably is the hardest part um and once you secure a location really then it's kind of making that location work for what your vision is mm-hmm. um i would say most squat, squat practices tend to be about two or three surgeries most but there are other ones where they're kind of like got space for four or five and that's quite nice because it allows room for expansion mm-hmm. but it also provides another headache in terms of financing that cost because for every extra square foot you have, that's an increased cost to you for either doing a fit out or uh, extra decorating from a builder. So all these things will factor in. So for me, I got quite fortunate because I think literally on the first day of looking, I found the location for the Greenwich site, Um, which, yeah, was odd for me. I thought, you know, I'm I'm a believer in fate. So I think that kind of happened because literally I wasn't looking for long. I think it was half a day and we found this location and then I went to go and look at it and we realized it was a really good location. And to be honest, I hadn't really thought that I was going to set up uh, in Greenwich specifically. I was just looking kind of in London in areas that were commutable. Um, and that was literally the first one I found. So when we went to go and view it, um, what I really liked about it is because it was a core and shell, meaning mm. nothing inside. Um we could design it exactly how we wanted it to. Mm. Uh, so, you know, we we designed where the partition walls were going to go, uh, what size the rooms were going to be. Um, it, it allows a certain level of freedom. So if the opportunity, I think, is there to to, to get a core in Shah and you're doing a squat practice, it's a real dream. Uh, so if anyone's kind of looking to do one, I would strongly advise trying to look for that. It's not always possible, mm-hmm. but if it is, it's definitely, it makes things a lot easier. And it also allows you to bring your your kind of, your flair to it with what you would like to do with the rooms and things like that, sizes, it's, it's, it's quite nice. Um, and then literally when we saw it, um, because it was core and shell, we realized that this was gonna be a, a really nice project for us. And we had two floors. Um, so the combined square footage was something like 2,350, uh, which allowed for basically five really nice size surgeries, wow. plus a pretty big waiting room. Um, so yeah, I mean, a two and a half thousand square foot place is pretty big for London. Uh, not so big as if you go outside of London, but for in London, it's pretty big. Um, and so yeah, that's kind of how I got into it. And the next thing I knew from there, really, we were designing and building. I was still working as an associate at the time, um, whilst it was being built. Uh, and I carried on working as an associate for a little while whilst we opened the first clinic, just because with a bit with it being a private squat both of them as well um you don't necessarily know how many people you're going to be seeing initially Mm. or whether you're going to be seeing anyone uh Mm -hmm. it takes time to build that rapport and reputation um and i think most people that have done squat journeys have probably followed suit with this where you work as an associate alongside and once you get busy enough you basically then move into it full time 
Mm. how did you how did you choose Greenwich was it close to where you lived because there's so many I I agree with you in that location is probably one of the most important things because that you can't change the internals in terms of decoration and stuff you can change it the Mm -hmm. equipment you have obviously you can change that but in terms of Mm -hmm. location and size obviously you can't change that and in Mm. London I mean that places that you find especially like central central London like Marlborough and those places you will find tiny tiny spaces and you just have to make the most of it um so you're very lucky to have like over 2,000 square feet how did you decide on Greenwich was it near where you lived or where you were working at the time not really actually I mean I I live in Essex um so and I was working in Essex Obviously, like Greenwich and stuff, you know, I knew about just because of, you know, time in uni and being in London and stuff. It's, it's a well-known place. I think what drew me to Greenwich is, uh, you know, I, I saw the location and we're right. We're actually in Cutty Sark, which is like a seven minute DLR ride from Canary Wharf. Mm. And Greenwich and the surrounding areas tend to be quite ideal places for people to live when they're working in Canary Wharf and places like that because mm-hmm. it's such an easy commute. And so we realized the area had, uh, was also getting a lot of uh, regeneration. Mm. Um, and as a, as a new practice, my personal view, someone might disagree with me, but my personal view was I wanted to be in an area where I saw growth. Mm. Um, sometimes going straight into central or into areas that are already, let's say, a little bit more saturated. Mm. Um, it can be quite difficult to establish something new. Uh, and like you said, quite rightly, as you get further kind of closer into central or into places like Marlebone and Harley Street on, uh, or certain areas of there, the, the, the size gets smaller. Mm. Um, so you have to try and cram a lot more in. You get a bit more restrictions on certain buildings that are listed. Um, for me, I, I didn't really want that. I, I wanted to have a clinic that had a kind of a spacious feel because I felt whilst you're totally right with, uh, you know, location being a key factor, there's also an element of if you're able to produce a good end result, your reputation does speak for itself mm. and you're able to attract patients from uh, multiple areas of the, of, of the city, if not other cities. Uh, and, and we see, you know, we've seen that ourselves, but I'm, I know many other clinics that have seen that as well, where patients are traveling from an hour, two hours away to come to those clinics. So, yes, the location is key, but I, I do also think if you can create a clinic that feels a little mm. bit more spacious it gives it feels that feeling of a little bit more luxury um you can then really put your stamp on it um sometimes i think with a slightly more constricted ones it can be harder to do that so that's yeah. that, that's the main reason i went with greenwich i think the size and the fact that the area was still you know is still undergoing a lot of growth with a lot of investment in areas like deptford and which are adjacent to us uh, and the tube links and the proximity to places like canary wharf it just seemed like a really good idea. Um, and it was still commutable from home, even though it's about an hour, 45 minutes to an hour. Um, mm. And so couple those things with the amount of space we got there. Um, that was the main reason why we decided to set up shop there yeah. uh, initially. And then how did you decide in terms of, okay, so you've got the location, you found, you've secured your location. And then how do you go about finding builders designers equipment all of that I know you mentioned your uncle's a dentist but did it Mm -hmm. did you have an insight in was there a lot of help from your family or was it kind of figuring it out as you Mm. went along no I said I mean my uncle uh had done this a few times before but it was a long time ago that he did it so we didn't have any contact or anything like that so Mm. effectively I was starting from scratch um it's a really good question about how do you go about finding um builders because 
I probably if you're looking into this journey you'll probably do a lot of research on facebook and common fa uh, dental group and things and some people will say to you go with a regular builder and you can project manage that or some people will say you should go with a dental specific builder and because you know they know what they're doing kind of thing um i think it really does depend on your personal circumstance um if you're someone who is still working as an associate and you're trying to get this thing off the ground alongside that i would always recommend going with a dental specific mm. builder um, because they do know what they need to do in order to get past building control and CQC. To be honest, it's not really very much different between building control and what CQC want. It, it, the, the overlap is, is pretty much almost the same. Um, but having someone that understands where to source certain things, mm. for example, lead or uh, safe board when you're when you're safe boarding and protecting the walls for your x-rays um, a common or say a regular builder who does residential mm. may struggle to locate those things uh, or may struggle to locate x-ray line uh, sorry lead line doors for x-ray rooms um, whereas a dental specific builder who's probably done work before will, will know who to contact who to get these are very small points i'm making but the reason why i think that's important is if you're working as an associate, you don't have the time to project manage the case, the, the project full time. It's just mm. impossible. Mm. And I think the risk you run of, of, of doing using a builder that doesn't have experience in the field is if something goes wrong or it goes off track because it hasn't been planned right, you could be in a lot of bother. Yeah. Um, and if you've got someone or a family member that can you know help project manage the thing as well, then maybe you could go with a, a non-dental specific builder. But I think if it's your first one and you've got no family that have building expertise or dental expertise, I would go with dental specific. I think that's, that it's a, it's a better recipe to getting what you need. And also one of the key things I think when you're doing this is to finish on time. Um, you know, most of us are doing this by, you know, funding through banks and things like that. And we need to get the practices open to start paying off our loans. Um, what you don't want is a three month, three month project turning into a six month project mm, mm. Uh, because that's three extra months that you might not have accounted for in your finances. Uh, and believe me, when those finances start kicking in and you haven't started seeing patients yet, that can be quite scary. So it's, it's it, the keeping the timeline, I think, on a squat practice is one of the most important things. Uh, it can make or break your business before you've even opened your doors. Um, mm -hmm. So how do you go about finding uh, a dental-specific builder? Um, I wouldn't say it's a huge market, to be honest. Um, if you start Googling, you'll probably come across the same three or four names uh that regularly pop up online um because that's what happened with me in greenwich so i kind of had three kind of well-known um dental specific builders and to be honest it came down to looking at the portfolio of the the builder and also who was most approachable mm. and also most reliable like returning phone calls getting back to you on emails not making you wait you know days on end for replies because that is really frustrating when you're trying to get move a project along um so initially my that's you know my decision for Greenwich that's what it came down to was you know who who seemed reliable who's done plenty of these projects before um and who replies who picks up my phone call basically because yeah. you, that that kind of bodes for how well it's going to go afterwards because it's not just the build it's the maintenance yeah you, know, you have to think about you know post building work will the company that you've gone with you know still keep in contact with you and help you maintain what you need because mm. inevitably things will break even yeah. if they're only a year or two years old um it happens so it's, it's important to have a good relationship with your builder and have it set out in terms you know how they're gonna you know how do you go forward after they complete the build yeah yeah 
Another thing that's also quite important that I don't understand anything about really is, is mm-hmm. the finances of a squat practice. Because as yeah, we know, yeah. if it's an existing practice, you go about, they look at the goodwill, they look at the value, they look at the turnover of the practice. And based mm-hmm. on that, they will give you X percentage of, of the um, purchase price. How do you yeah. go about that from a squat point of view? Yeah, that's this is where it gets difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, I think before you can answer that question, because there will be another question that comes into it, which really makes it make or break whether the bank's going to lend for you, is number one, are you leasing or are you buying a freehold? Um, if you're leasing, obviously you don't normally need as much capital up front and you might be able to negotiate rent-free periods uh, whilst you're doing your build work. The issue with it is there's no tangible asset for the bank. Mm. Um, so they're not going to be able to use that as an asset if they're giving you uh, funding. Um, so when you're doing leases, obviously you've got to make sure that you know, you're sitting down with your solicitor and you make those as kind of watertight as possible. Um, especially length of lease and things like that. Um, you know, I have heard some horror stories. Um, <laughs> one of my other uncles, you know, he, his his practice, the 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 lease kind of came up for renewal. He'd been there for several years, um, I think thirty odd years actually, and they kicked him out after selling oh. to uh, Costa. So he then had to find another premises, and luckily he found one on the same road, but had to then fit that out as a practice whilst yeah. trying to maintain it it's 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 a headache but i'm not saying you, you always have to buy a freehold because it it does chew up a lot of your finances and it's difficult if, to do depending on yeah. the location that you're looking yeah at, isn't it? yeah because you might they may not even offer the freehold it may yeah. only be leasehold yeah. a lot of places in london are like that um so you need to make sure your leases are kind of airtight and and you've got a, you know a first refusal when the lease comes up and you want to try and make sure you've negotiated a decent length of a lease as well because the amount of investment you'll put in to build a squat practice is a heavy sum of money and what you don't want is after 20 years because hopefully if you're doing a squat practice you're, you're planning to be there for you know till your retirement i would have thought right. or until yeah. you or, or until you sell up um either way that tends to be quite a long time and what you don't want is after putting all that initial investment in finding you know 10 years down the line you're you're going to have to start again almost um uh, because of whatever issue um then in terms of actually getting funding for the build work um this is where you might have to go to a bank that's more kind of um uh, let's say familiar with healthcare lending uh that would be someone like natwest um because I, I remember when i first started greenwich i approached metro bank mm. um i don't know if it's changed now so Apologies to them if I'm misquoting them, but initially, two, three years ago, they wouldn't touch the project because there was no tangible asset mm. um, for that particular project that I was talking to them about. Um, there was just literally, even this was actually an existing practice before I set the squat up that I went to go and chat to them about. Even with an existing practice, they wouldn't touch it because they were like, oh, uh, patience and goodwill is not technically a tangible asset. Um, but NatWest, and I think Lloyd's are the other one, uh are they have a healthcare branch within their mm. team like team and they actually understand the concept of goodwill and, and and you know dental businesses and they're much more likely to give you lending if you can show a uh, uh a reliable business model with accurate projections um and so uh, you have to go to people like that otherwise you're not going to secure funding um and normally with them they want you to be putting some money in as well um it's, it's very rare that they're going to finance the whole project without some show of commitment from yourself that you're investing into this business 
Um, it might have changed since, since I did it, but that's, that's what I was getting told. What I keep that, hearing you know, about, it, it might have been something that's changed since COVID, but what I keep mm. hearing about from, from people like advisors, mm. financial advisors, they keep saying, especially now with the current financial climate mm. and everything going up, uh, mm. they keep saying you might be able to get some sort of a loan to get your equipment. But for the build yes. work and things, it might be a case of investing in it yourself because yes, exactly they don't right, understand yeah. what you're going to do with a squat. There's no, there's no income. Exactly there's right, no... yeah. They they're more happy when there's a tangible asset. So things like mm. chairs and and, and X ray machines, you know, because there's actually an asset for them to come and seize. Should should God forbid anything go wrong, mm. um, they can then you know reclaim some of the the money that they've lended by selling the asset. Whereas with build work, partition walls and electrics and things like that, they don't hold any value as such, mm. um, and so they're not really very willing to lend on that. Now, the other way you can get around that, and it's actually what we did a little bit for the Battersea practice, is you can combine what you call um, good debt with bad debt. So a good debt is basically what we just talked about, all the assets. Mm-hmm. Um, and a bad one is basically the partition of the bill work. So mm-hmm. some lenders are happy to lend to you on the premise that the majority of what they're lending for is the good stuff, but they'll throw in some of the bad stuff as well to sweeten the deal. Mm-hmm. So you're able to kind of get some lending that way. But you've got to be prepared that if you there is actually lending out there for build works as well. Um, but you've got to be prepared for the fact that the interest rates on that is going to be higher. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean that uh, we found that with the Battersea Clinic for sure. Um, but the thing is, it still allows you to basically make monthly repayments and kind of make those realistic for you, because sometimes trying to put all that money up. Up front, yes, you're going to pay some money on in, uh, on the extra interest, but that's going to get offset against your kind of you know your tax and all that. Um, so if it's a case of doing that to make your project work, you obviously have to look at your own financials. But usually, it's worth it um, because then it makes the monthly payments more manageable. You're able to get the equipment that you want from day one, which I, th- I think that's quite important. I mean, not everyone's able to to do it, and you know, we all we all know how expensive dental equipment is, yeah. uh, and and the maintenance of it as well. It's not just the initial cost. And you know, as a squat practice, you want to have the the latest things. You want to have you know brand new toys to play with, so you can do you know the best level of work. You know, combining yeah. with your clinical knowledge. But sometimes it's quite hard to do that, um, especially when the upfront costs are so heavy on 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 build work. But I, I do think if you're able to to invest in that tech by maybe spreading out the, the 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 costs on the monthlies or whatever or taking it on finance, you're probably doing yourself a better uh, mm. you know a better service because you're then going to be able to offer more to your patients. Yeah. Um, and then and you know your patients can see there's a you know we we get that comment a, a lot in terms of patients seeing the tech that we have because they don't they haven't seen it in many other practices. Um, you know, I think a lot more practices are investing on, on on tech and things like that, but there's still quite a few that are still, you know, on that journey. Um, yeah. And the patients, you know, they they receive it well, you know, and when you're, you're marketing as a brand new private practice looking to provide the best level of care that you possibly can, having the good toys to help you do it is always a, is always a nice, a, a nice thing. And I can see all um, your yeah. toys in the background there. Uh, and airflow. <laughs> yeah, airflow scanners. <laughs> CBCT in that room, yeah, no, it's, it's. We're very fortunate to have that stuff here day one. Um, I, I, you know, I, I, I really do uh, thank my stars that we've been able to have that stuff at this clinic as well as the other one. Um, it, it really does help with uh, building 
uh, lists, having the, the latest tech, and you know, not that I'm uh, promoting any particular brand here, um, but the airflow is incredible. Um, that, that is a that is a that is a very very good investment for I think for any practice, but it is a heavy one. So yeah, I mean, we didn't have it day one at Greenwich. Um, we put it we put it in about six to nine months afterwards, I think. Mm. Um, but it was a you know we noticed that the patients really really responded well to it. Um, and and you know, these things that you can do to make your practice stand out is it, you know if you can do it you should do it. Uh, yeah. But yeah, coming back to your original question, um, it is hard to get funding, and the current climate is not helping. Um, I think there is going to be a period for the next few months where I think securing lending is going to be incredibly difficult, not impossible. But if anyone actually does need help with that, um, not to plug myself here, but feel free to reach out to Shadi or myself because. Uh, my contact at NatWest is very keen to do, do uh, further projects with dentists and he's an incredible guy. So if anyone needs any help with that, just let us know. Thank you so much. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> That's all right. So going back to the, so this is the hardcore stuff of lending, equipment, location, all of that. Uh -huh. But going back to the, I don't want to say soft stuff because if it's equally as important, if not more yeah. important. Yeah. With a squat practice, you open the day, you've invested so much time, money, effort, and dreams hopes and then you open on day one and you have zero patients so how did you go mm. about making sure that the practice was busy you had enough patients you had enough staff because there's no way that you can well you can kind of plan but you don't know especially with a big practice like yours with how many surgeries was Greenwich uh so it has yes. space for five yeah we put sorry this is um I keep going off on tangents apologies but, but this is where it's really important on the planet because we only fit two to begin with yeah yeah. Um, we, we, we built all, yeah, we built all the rooms, ran all the plumbing and electrics and everything. So everything was ready mm. um, and they were finished to a certain standard. But there's no point putting five chairs in in a private practice because uh, they're not going to be busy on no. day one. You know, you're going to end up needing to rent them out as Airbnb yeah. rooms or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, coming back to your original question, it is very, very hard to know what to do. Uh, staff is a very, very um, difficult thing to manage initially. When you're not busy to begin with, and I think it's unrealistic to ever expect that when you first open your doors, you're going to have a full book. It doesn't happen. Mm. Um, you know, it, it takes it takes a while to establish a list, but you need people that are willing to build and see your vision. And usually when people can see the level of investment that you put into something, they know that you're looking to do a certain thing. But it's only going to happen if everyone in the team has that same vision. That's, you know, front of house, nurses, practice managers, they, they they all need to have that vision of helping you grow that practice. Otherwise, it's going to fall down. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the way that that happens is, you know, you have to maintain your level of service and your quality to every patient you see. Um, the way that we built the list at Greenwich, I think, is that we, we, you know, we were very open with our patients. We told them, you know, we've just opened. Um you know, we're looking to to build our lists. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you've had a good service with us, please do recommend. Um, word, you know, I know that you've probably heard this from other speakers or uh, it's pretty self-explanatory, but word of mouth is by far the most powerful form of marketing. And if you've managed to get a few people in from online marketing initially, um, you need to use those initial people that you see to really help you boost your practice. And nine out of ten of those patients that, have, you know, have had a really good experience with yourself, uh, I'm sure they would, um will go and spread the word and if they do that then they'll go and spread the word to other people and that's how you start to really see the list grow 
But on top of that, that's, that's not enough. You've got to do some uh, kind of marketing online, you know, whether that's Google, uh, whether that's social media marketing, whether that's um, advertising in a local paper or magazines um, or local businesses around you or just going to chat to the businesses around you. We, uh, we did that initially as well to let them know we were opening. opening. And, and sometimes you can work out like a, a discount thing with their staff if you, if, you're, if you really want to try and get some patients in initially. Because um, the, the, the difficulty with it is as well is marketing is expensive. Yeah. Uh, Google, Google is very. This is expensive. what I was going to say. It's it's all good and well saying social media in particular because now it, mm, I think mm. a lot of different businesses have realized the importance of social media marketing, but it's actually not cheap to to be able to do it. It's one thing doing it yourself, no. but in order to make it impactful to reach as many people as you can, which you need yeah. to do, you know, it's not just the vanity metrics of getting X amount of likes. It's about getting bums and seats no. essentially. I mean, that's the thing. I think like you know we paid attention to that fairly pretty much straight away when we opened the clinic. Um, but like you said, it actually, it's not about the likes uh, at all or the comments, because what we realized very quickly after opening was, you know, we asked every patient how they heard about us because we we, we want to know what mm. mediums of our marketing was working, uh, you know, whether the Google was working, whether social media was working or whether it was literally they were walking past. Quite a lot of people said to us, oh, we've seen your Instagram. Now, if I'd looked at our Instagram at that point, I mean, it's still not you know, huge or anything, but it's decent. And, and when I look, at that point, when I looked at the Instagram, you know, we had, I think, just another 1,000 followers at that time, and each post was getting maybe 20 or 30 likes. But what I realized is people are looking at your feed all the time, and it may not necessarily mm. translate to a like or a follow or a DM, mm. but they're always looking at it. So it's mm. important to maintain it because people will be looking that you don't know about, and then they come in. And we noticed that quite a bit. Um, and so that's why we always maintain it. And I think it's really important in this day and age, if you're not doing that, you're probably shooting yourself in the foot mm. um, because it is such a big form of marketing. But it is hard to know how to do it initially because, as, as we were saying, it's very expensive. And when your budgets are probably a little bit tight because you've used all your money on, on the build and the, the equipment, it can be really challenging to try and then say, okay, I'm going to spend several thousand pounds a mm. month to try and do the marketing and the problem with marketing is you don't know if it's going to be successful or not yeah, yeah. um you, there's no you guarantee don't know how many... either is there yeah there's no guarantee at all um one thing i would say and it's uh, this comes back to the point of managing stuff because it is very very difficult is maybe open uh kind of almost on a part-time basis consolidate your hours so that you're filling filling your hours and not keeping the clinic open all day long without mm. any patients in because your running costs, your utility bills, your staff costs will keep skyrocketing. And if you don't have a consolidated list or you're seeing one patient at 9 a.m. and next one at 5 p.m. and the whole day is just kind of not, you know, you've got nothing else, you're just going to be frittering away quite a lot of money. Mm. So initially consolidating and actually working evenings, if you're still working as an associate, working evenings or working the weekend alongside that whilst you're building your list, like it works really well because a lot of people want appointments out of hours, right? So if you're building a, a brand new practice, actually it is a graft and you'll, you know, you will get tired. But if you open in those periods of time where most other practices close, you'll pick up quite a, you'll pick up quite a lot of business. And then once you establish, you can reset that boundary a little bit because those patients will then accommodate you. If you say, no, nope, you're going to come at 9am this week or you're going to yeah. come at, you know, during the normal working hours. But when you're first starting, you can't really afford to be the one that's, kind of dictating to patient on hours and things like that yeah because yeah. uh, they'll be go as elsewhere flexible. yeah yeah you got as, yeah you've got to be as flexible as possible 
um, to try and you know get those patients in. And once you've done a good job and you and, you know you've managed to successfully convert that patient into someone who's going to stick with your practice, then the control comes back to you in terms of hours and things like that. Um, staff, I think you have to really have uh, detailed conversations with those staff members when you first start. Um, maybe trying to find someone that can do multiple jobs, such as reception mm -hmm. and nursing, maybe. Mm -hmm. That really helps because mm -hmm. you can use them to fill in in places where you may have gaps um, and, and, and usually starting them off on a part-time basis. Mm -hmm. There's no point doing hiring someone on a full-time basis for 40 hours a week if there's nobody in the practice. It's just, you know, it's going to drain your resources really, really quickly. That's my personal view. If you have the finances to be able to, to make it work, then it's, it's, it's good to have the practice open all the time. But in this current climate where, you know, utility bills and energy bills have gone through the roof, um, you know, dental practice costs are going up and they have been since COVID. Um, you need to be as efficient as possible uh, and keeping a practice open nine to six with only one patient is, is you know, mm. it doesn't, doesn't make any sense. I would say, though, don't get disheartened by it. It takes time. And I don't actually know when it happened at Greenwich, but... All of a sudden, you know, the diaries got filled, you know, we were, mm. you know, literally within a kind of month or so, we were getting booked up five days, six days a week. Um, I, I don't know if it was part of the COVID boom, because I don't have any figures pre-COVID because mm. of when we opened. But from what I know, I know that most of dental practices across the country had a bit of a boom during COVID. I think mm. that really helped us, if I'm honest. Um, but even still, maintaining your reputation and keeping up with the with the level of um, service that I expect from the clinic, I think if if you've got a high level of service, you're going to keep those patients, mm -hmm. uh, and then and then it will start to spread. But you have to have a team that's, as I said at the beginning, has that vision. Um, you know, having a, an, an incredible hygienist will help build your hygiene list. And to this date at Greenwich, we still have patients that haven't been to see a dentist at, at Greenwich yet, but are still seeing the hygienists. You know, you'll make income through your team even if they're not necessarily coming straight to you mm -hmm. um and I, and that's the, the incredible thing about it and eventually those patients will book appointments you know when they're when they're ready to uh, and then you start to get a nice stream of new patients coming in and you know a lot of the time they need work and stuff so it's, it's about being patient mm -hmm. um it's i think when you've got so many overheads and you know in the back of your mind you know you've got bills to pay at the end of the month and loans to pay it can stress you out to a point where your mind or mentality might change. And that's what you have to fight against. You have to make sure that you're just kind of doing your job, doing it to the best of your ability and not allowing those things to change how you mm. work. Because if you do that, you're going to start hard selling. And mm. that is never a good thing for a patient. You know, if, you, if they can feel your desperation in converting a treatment plan because yeah. uh, you're worried about being able to pay your loan repayment, it's not going to be a good thing. Um, I think if you stick to your core values of, you know, why you do dentistry, why you're going to own your own practice, because, you know, the majority of us are doing this because we have a love of, of the, the, the field, you know, we're, we're not doing it to become millionaires, you know, to be honest, it's far from it, even how expensive it costs to, to do yeah. all this stuff, but we're doing it because we want to try and provide the best care possible. And I think if you stick to those core principles, then your practice will be successful. One hopes. <laughs> No, no, for sure, for sure. It takes it takes um, a, a lot of dedication and graft. Yeah. But if 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 you're if if that if you have your vision, stick to it and 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 be realistic. Do your research around you know what your competitors are charging around you as well. There's no point pricing yourself out of your market. You know, you you have to charge what you think is fair and also appropriate for what you're providing. 
but you will need to look around as well. I'm not saying base your prices exactly of what, of what your competitors are doing, but you have to it's have relative, a realistic, yeah. Yeah, you've got to have a realistic idea of what you should be charging. You know, if you're four times the practice, and you know, charging four times the amount the practice next door is, uh, the likelihood is you're going to struggle to pull some of those patients your way. Um, but similarly, charge what you think is appropriate and ethical for what you're doing, and, and you won't struggle. Yeah, yeah. So taking all of that into consideration, if you were to mm-hmm. narrow it down to three pieces of advice for someone who is considering going into a squat practice, mm-hmm. um, what would you say? Because I know going from Greenwich to Battersea, you've probably done things slightly differently based on <laughs> what you've experienced and what you've learned. Um, yeah. What would you say are three pieces of advice that you would give somebody who's planning yeah, on doing a, this? Yeah, it's a good idea. Um, I'd say number one, you've got to have a vision. Your uh, vision of why you want to set up a practice in, uh, as to what, opposing to buying one. So what, what is your reason for, 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 or what is your idea of opening a new practice and what are you hoping to achieve by it? So by having that, you've got a goal, you've got a, a, an ambition to achieve, and you can kind of set all your targets to get into that kind of vision. You know, do you want it to be a multidiscipline specialist center? Do you want it to be a very high end general uh, dentistry? Um, Having that kind of idea in your head will help you determine how many surgeries you think you need, um, what size of a, a unit you need. You may not know the answer to that initially. And to be honest, if you're able to find a unit in a good location and it's only got two surgeries, just go for it. It's fine because, you know, you can always um, uh, phase the diary, you know, open up later to accommodate clinicians. You know, we did that at Greenwich with two, so even though we've got space for five, um, there were days where I had three or four clinicians juggling two chairs um because we had the patient demand but at that point we weren't ready to invest for the third mm-hmm. chair yet so there are ways around it i think just try and have that vision of what you'd like to achieve and then you know that sets targets for you to work towards and work against when you're kind of planning your squat and and where you're going to put it and and that kind of thing uh the second thing i think is being prepared for um the graft um you are not going to have any time to do anything else for several years. Um, I think it's, you know, the, the first year for me at Greenwich was literally seven days a week um, grafting, six days a week clinical grafting, seventh day doing all the paperwork and admin. And it, to be honest, it's, it's still that now, um, if I'm honest, especially now with the second one. Um, it, it, it's, it's, it's a full-time job on top of a full-time job. Mm. because if, especially if you're working clinically, if you're working clinically alongside uh, running the clinic, because initially I, you know, I didn't have a practice manager initially at Greenwich. Again, it's another wage. It's something you have to factor in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you will end up doing a lot of it yourself. And eventually, hopefully you can then delegate a lot of the paperwork and boring stuff to, to, to the, you know, uh, practice manager. But until that point, you are the person that's basically doing absolutely everything from audits to compliance to, or stock ordering and things like that. And, and you know, you have to keep a really close eye on that when you first open because you kind of have to, have to make sure the practice is, is running the way that it should be, uh, you know, make sure it's stocked up, making sure your medical emergency drugs are all in, in, in date, um, your audits are up to date, your staff's compliance is up to date, um, loads of things, you know, business rates, paying all these things. So making sure that you're prepared for that task. You know, if you've got family or young children or things like that, you can still do it but just be prepared that you know you're going to be working a lot and the final thing is i would say is don't be scared of it 
Um, you know, if it's something you really want to do, there shouldn't really be anything. That, I mean, I know it takes a lot of finances and things like that, and that might be one of the biggest reasons why you don't do it initially. But if there comes a time where you're financially able to do it or you're able to get the lending to make the, the dream happen, then go ahead and do it because you will make it work. Um, this, I don't think the squat journey is for the faint-hearted. Um, ne ne neither is buying existing practice. By, that, that's not easy <laughs> either um, by any means. But there is that element of safety net, knowing that you've got an established list mm. and that you uh, will have a certain level of income. Mm. Um, with a squat practice, you don't know what you're making month to month. Um, you know, you you know, you need you need to know in your head what you roughly need to make to um, keep the lights on. And that kind of leads me on to point three, subsection B, let's say, um, <laughs> contingency funding um you know i i know it's all well and good what i just said about going ahead and doing your dream but you have to be prepared that your business is going to make a loss mm. um for, you know realistically you should, a year maybe a year and a half yeah um you should try and have contingency funding for that and that is a lot of money depending yeah. on, on on your size of 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 unit and 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 um what equipment you've gone for you should try and have that because if you if you make money and and you're making what you need to pay off your bills in the first two months, fantastic. That's incredible. You know that that will take a lot of pressure off from you. But you would want to know that you've got contingency funding so that if you didn't have the level that you needed or you you know you've seen less patients than you thought, yeah. um, at least you're not worried that the lights are going to turn off or you're yeah. you know you're not going to be able to afford your monthly repayments um so those, those three points that i mentioned i think are probably the most important ones yeah. everything else about like uh how to actually plan the squat and 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 what people have to be involved and things like that you can learn that it, you know i learned it on the job one of the first one for greenwich by myself um it's all online and to be honest though i think you know there are groups on facebook um what's that one called dental startups or something on Facebook, um, where there's a whole bunch of people that have started squat practices, uh, dentists, and, you know, everyone's really helpful. So if there's a question and stuff and you need help with it, you can post it in there uh, and, and you'll get like 10 different replies from people that have already done what you're looking to do. So like, all of that kind of logistical stuff, that that's, that for me is not really a barrier like, because you can work around that. But the, the three points that I mentioned for this, I think those are, are quite critical to whether your, your venture is going to be successful or not um but i think you know uh, it's, it's probably uh, for me it was the best thing i did it reinvigorated my passion for for being a dentist um and whilst i made that point about it being a full-time job on top of a full-time job i actually really enjoy it yeah. um i think when you've got something that's your own kind of business and it's like a baby that you're nurturing and the sense of satisfaction you get when things are running smoothly uh is is really, really quite nice and there will be days that sometimes you sit there thinking, crap, let me just sell this whole thing up because something is, it's you know, maybe something's yeah. causing you a bit of stress. Yeah, but, you know, I think most jobs in life, there's some element of stress that will come at some yeah. point. And it's just, you know, you do what you do best, you act professionally, you get through it and you crack on. Um, and those days are very, very rare. You know, nine mm. out of ten days are, are, are very good days. Uh, so I think if you're, if this is kind of your ambition and you've got a dream to do it, and you can make it work, then by all means, you should do it. Um, because I, I don't think I could go back to being an associate. Um, 
Not that there's anything wrong with being an associate, but I personally really like being. I think it a depends principal. on your personality and what you want yeah. to achieve. There's there's merits yeah. to both of them, and I think there's For personalities sure. that are more suited to one role than the other. So it, I think it. Hundred percent. Person. I mean, my, I've got some associates that you know they they would ne- they wouldn't they would never own a practice, um, but you know they don't need to. They 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 yeah. are they're incredibly gifted. Yeah. um you know they, they they are fantastic at the job they come they do what they need to do and when they finish at six or seven o'clock whenever it is they can go home and relax with their families and there's a lot to be said for that as well yeah um so i think you're totally right about that you know a lot of us dentists have different personalities yeah certain jobs suit some of us and other jobs suit others um but if you feel practice ownership is kind of for you then you should go for it um i i, I quite enjoy the business side of things that's why i really enjoy it because uh, there's a sort of element to different element to the just the dentistry as well mm. um but like one of my best friends from uni he absolutely hates all the business side of it so he's quite happy being an associate like he loves it yeah you know, can to come in and do the best quality dentistry he possibly can and then go home mm. knowing he's done a good job and and can chill with the family so it's yeah i mean it's it's each to their own um each path has its own merits um but for me personally i i really this was what i i was waiting for i think and I've been very fortunate to be in the position to do it and and, and now with the Battersea Clinic have another go. So, yeah, in terms of things that I've learned, I would say it's mainly it was mainly just cosmetic things in the clinic, stuff that nobody else cares about. But me and my OCD, um, <laughs> like genuinely nobody else cares. About <laughs> um, but I guess just because I'd done the first one and then after doing the first one, there were a couple of things I thought, oh, maybe I would have done it this way if I had another yeah. chance. And then another chance has come up so I've done it on this one yeah um I think my wife would kill me if I said I'll do another one so I'm not going to say that um yet it's still well, it's still early we'll see never say never say <laughs> never never say never but I'm very content with what we have here and I think um you know I, to be honest I've been seeing more squats opening up recently in the last kind of year and a half and stuff and it's, it's great to see um because you know I think the level of dentistry is really uh you know escalating people are really pushing the boundaries of what they can do and some of the squat practices that are opening they're, they're incredibly incredibly um amazing in, in terms of the people that are working there and what they're producing mm. so there's room for everybody i think we all have our own usps um and you know long may it continue because i think it's good for the profession yeah absolutely well i'm so happy to see what you've done and i can't wait to see what's next <laughs> for you i mean you never too. say never but you're doing amazing things and i'm so proud of you and thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your that's wisdom. all right because I know Thanks it's for a lot of me. stuff that we're all learning. Thank you so much. I hope, I, well, hopefully, hopefully it was useful. Hopefully I didn't muffle too much. <laughs> it was very useful. really hope you've enjoyed this episode and hopefully learned a few things I know I certainly did and as always don't forget to let me know what you thought of this episode you can reach out to me on Instagram at Dr Shadi Manicherry I always love hearing your responses and if you have any requests for future podcast episodes please let me know there I do usually listen if there are specific requests that are quite popular as always there will be a new episode every week so please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and never miss an episode and I can't wait to speak to you soon.